0: Hey, I'm Chance Mann from Alpharetta, Georgia, and I'm a client relations specialist. I love listening to Compelled because no matter the situation or the set of circumstances, these inspirational stories display the redemptive power of God's grace. I think they should remind all of us that no one is beyond saving. I hope you enjoy today's episode.
1: I was just lying down and I said, I'm just done. So if there's any force in heaven, do something about my life. If not, I'm just gonna end it.
2: I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to COMPELLED, a seasonal podcast using gripping, immersive storytelling to celebrate the powerful ways God is transforming Christians around the world. Last week, our guest was Greg Steer, who grew up surrounded by gangs, violence, and unbridled hatred. Greg was small and mild-mannered and just didn't fit in with his family of thugs and criminals. In the world's eyes, it may have seemed that Greg's family was hopeless, but Greg would discover that there is a power in heaven that can change and transform even an entire family. Again, you can hear that story by tuning into last week's episode with Greg Steer. Today, our guest is Deepa Sukumar, a Hindu medical student with a successful career ahead of her, but who was actually struggling with anxiety, self-worth, and a true lack of peace. Then one night when she was at the end of her rope and ready to end her life, God knocked on the door of her heart and would change it forever. So, lean in and join us for another compelling story from the kingdom of God. So, fun fact Deepa is a pediatrician in central Florida and is actually a compelled listener. She reached out to us back in May, and as God had it, my family was actually traveling to Florida later that month. So, just a few days later, we were recording in a church just outside Orlando. Deepa began by sharing what her life was like growing up on the opposite side of the world.
1: Well, I grew up in South India. So um, I was born in Madurai, which um, honestly, it's called a city of temples. I mean, there's so many temples in Madurai. And then we moved. My dad had a marketing kind of job. So we kind of moved inside the state. I grew up a Hindu, but uh, we were not like very fanatic kind of you know we we you know we i think my parents gave a lot of importance to education so like we of course we did our rituals we went to temples we did everything but i think education was first and foremost And so um, I always thought, you know, as Hindus, we have our own gods. And as Christian, you have your own God. As Muslim, you have your, your own God. And it's just that we just give people space and let them worship and let us worship. You know, I did not think Christianity was exclusive. I always thought, you know what? Okay, you guys go to church and celebrate Christmas. I go to temples and I celebrate my Hindu holidays. So it was nothing um complicated it was just that you know what i have my gods and you have yours and so that was it we have a lot of gods in hinduism so we have like a god for um you know studies we have a god for uh, you know wealth so there are a, a lot of gods and so it's pretty um inclusive when you say jesus christ is god we'll be like okay we'll add him to the list does that make sense so it's almost like and uh, we had rituals and we had things. And I think the major difference that I found was uh, I had to do things to get into the goodwill of God in Hinduism. I mean, I've seen people doing crazy things like, you know, they would pierce their tongue, they would pierce their cheeks and they would do rituals. They would walk on like coals of fire uh, to kind of satisfy a prayer request or a ritual. And, and I grew up thinking, OK, so I have to do something for, you know, gods to be placed. So I think that was something that I always thought in my mind that I had to do something.
2: Obviously, there are a ton of different beliefs within Hinduism, which can vary even among different factions. But there are three primary things that stand out to me at least. First, in Hinduism, there are millions of gods, and that is no exaggeration. Second, Hindus believe in reincarnation. Once you die, you'll be reborn on this earth again as another life form, possibly human or possibly animal. And how you live in your current life determines what type of life form you'll be born as in your next. The more good things you do in your current life, the higher chances that you'll be reborn as something more desirable. For instance, if you live a very good life right now, maybe you'll be born into a higher caste with more social status next go-round. Which means that works in your earthly life play a very outsized role in your spiritual journey. Third, about 15% of the world is Hindu, with over a billion Hindus in India alone. But although Deepa's family was Hindu, and Hinduism is ingrained into virtually every facet of Indian society, she went to a school that was not. Instead, her school was Catholic.
1: When it was time the Catholics and the Christians would go to catechism class and then we would go to moral science class. So my mind was always like, you know what? They have their God and they're talking about their God and they're going to read catechism and read about communion, read about everything. And moral science, they wouldn't teach about anything. They would just teach about what's right and wrong. Where they taught us good stuff, like where they taught us what is right, what is wrong. And I learned a lot from that. But it didn't really even you know it didn't even enter my head like i was never curious about that but but that's just how it was although they used to sing songs about jesus in the you know in 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 the assembly in like in the early morning you know then they used to sing songs like jesus loves me this little light of mine and i had no clue but i just sang the songs all i thought was he was a good man who didn't fight back his enemies and he was crucified and they they thought he was God. So I'm like, okay, he must be one of the gods. Because in Hinduism, you know, we pray to a lot of gods. So if he's God, but it never really registered in me who he was and who he really is. You know, I just had like a touch of it, but I didn't really know that he was God. He was a good man, a good teacher.
2: And that pretty much summed up Deepa's spiritual beliefs. Maybe Jesus was a God. Hey, why not? I mean, there were plenty of them to pass around. But besides her spiritual beliefs, there was one other part of Deepa's years growing up that left a mark on her.
1: Suicide was pretty common in India when I was there. And if you even look up statistics now for India and like Southeast Asia, especially India for suicide, it's many, many more times than the rest of the world. Really? I am um, not sure why it is like that. And I feel it's a spirit that's just kind of, you know, there. My aunt... Uh, my, my dad's sister, I think she committed suicide when she was in her 20s. And we really don't know what happened to my dad's parents. We re- So these things, we don't talk about it in India. You know what? Oh, they died. Oh, they committed suicide. That's it. You know, you close the story. Because maybe it's a, it's a thing of shame too. Hmm. I do feel it's because of a lot of oppression, even like demonic oppression, I think. And of course, society, like, you know, just the spirit of fear operating in the society. I mean, you don't have a stand back, right? I mean, if you lose your job, you're on the streets. I mean, if you have three daughters, how are you going to marry those three daughters? You have to give the dowry. I mean, it's a a lot of things that entail you to push you to a place of hopelessness. I mean, I always kind of felt anxiety and worry and a kind of a darkness when I was growing up. I mean, I didn't know what it was but I just felt worried. I just felt anxious. And so, but I really did concentrate. I, I was just a good student. And so I would just just read and concentrate on my studies a lot, and which was kind of a deviation for me. You know, it was like in, when I read and I was doing my stuff, I was in the safe place, which, um, you know, which was great for me. But then I kind of worried a lot and I was anxious a lot. And I used to question things a lot. You know, I was like, why is this happening? And why is this Um, You know, why are they treated differently? You know, a lot of questions for me, you know, I used to ask my parents and I used to ask myself too. And I was kind of wondering why others are not asking the same questions. Maybe they were in their mind, but um, so I did feel that kind of oppression um, when I was growing up. And so when I went from Catholic school and I went to um, my med school, I knew something was off. One time I felt I was in the bus and I literally felt literally dark layers all over me, just dark clouds all over me. I just literally could feel the clouds. And then once I was standing, I think it was after my oftal, you know, rotation or something that I was standing outside. I was like, I'm feeling this. I don't know what it is. You know, it's so I think I was more in tuned. I was like thinking, why am I feeling it? What is this kind of a thing? But it didn't, I didn't honestly have any answers so clearly looking back I feel it was just a spirit of oppression whenever I looked around love was conditional like I did I did good in school and I did this did this my family will accept me or I behaved a certain way and I was doing this my I will have friends and or I I, I read well and my teachers would accept me um so my mind was going in medical school after a while I was like so what happens if I don't do anything Who's going to love me? Interesting. You know, which was kind of crazy. I don't. That's the thing, right? God knows how to get to you. You know what I mean? He knows where you're hurting and he knows he'll come after you and he'll pursue you and he would get you right where you're hurting. So I was that was a big question for me. I was like, what happens if I don't have the energy to do anything? Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to look after me? Who's going to show love to me? And that was kind of troubling for me because I really couldn't find an answer. So I went to med school and then when I went there, I immersed myself in studies and stuff like that. But I was just, I think, looking again for something that I didn't know what it was. You know what I mean? I was looking for a perfect life. Maybe I was looking for, um, you know, acceptance. I was looking for, um, you know, just I, I think I was looking for peace and looking for joy, looking for that that perfect shalom, which is absolutely lacking, you know. So I just hung around with my friends and, you know, so it was the third year in medical school, I was having an issue. And so we had about 200 students in the class and there was this guy, um, his name is Joseph Dominique, And so he... I, I thought he was like a wise person. He was a Christian. Uh, I thought he was a wise person. So I went and asked him about, hey, you know, I had this question. What do you think? And he answered me. And then the next day he came back and said, um, you know, Deepa, I couldn't really sleep well last night because God was telling me to tell you something. And I'm like, what? I mean, in my mind, I'm going, OK, he's trying to convert me. Yeah. And so Dominique said, Jesus said, I sent my daughter to you, and why did you not tell her about me? And he told me that, I think I was very hard-hearted. And so I was like, there was just no light. And so when I when he said that, I'm going, okay, here they go. They always convert. I mean, they come, they ask you, tell you one thing, and then they always try to convert. And I don't think Dominic was ever trying to convert. He was just trying to tell me what he thought he heard. And so I said yes, very politely, and then I just left. And I was thinking, okay, I'm not going to talk to him <laughs> because he is trying to convert me. And so I really didn't interact with him a lot for the next two three years, but I do know that he prayed for me. And hmm. so, um, and then around that time, a friend of mine, her name was Rohini. She was a Hindu and she became a Christian. And so she, I started hanging around with her because I felt unconditional love from her. From her? Uh, yes, uh, a kind of love that I've never felt before. And so a couple of examples stand out. The first thing is that I remember when we did an internship, we would get a stipend each month, right? Not a lot, but it was about uh, 1,200 rupees then. I do remember. I, I want to be exact, but I think it was 1,200. I think the first time she got it, she kept asking me, what do you want to what do you buy? What do you want to buy? Do you want to buy a sari? Do you want to buy this? I'm like going... I mean, she doesn't want to spend it on herself, (laughs) Uh, you know. So and then the second was she used to wish me every birthday. Now I wish her, I call her, you know, some last birthday, I called her, I prayed with her, I think because I was going through a lot and it was kind of, I I never remembered her birthdays and she never bothered about it. She would always wish me on my birthdays. Um, And then the other thing is that whenever I was kind of overwhelmed, she'll be like, "Okay, where are you? Let's go meet at this point. Let's pray. But she was pretty particular. She would say, like, you know what, you go wherever I come. I mean, I'm not going to go wherever you're, you you want to go, but you want to hang around with me, you come with me. Like, I'm not going to come to temples, your rituals with you, but if you want to hang out with me, you come wherever I go, And which was basically like a chapel and Christian stores. And so I had no issues with that because I was like, I was so, I knew she was a good friend and... I don't know, maybe I didn't want to lose her. So it was just like, that's fine by me. She's a very sweet girl. And so she would, she never shared the gospel with me because I was very stubborn. And if I think if she shared the gospel, God knows how to get me. So I I would have probably left her, but she never, she'll always open the Bible and just read Bible verses to me. Just pray.
2: She would, she would open the Bible to you. And
1: she would pray. I mean, it felt, it was good because the word of God always is attractive, right? I mean, however stubborn you are. And I, I do want to also mention this. I always read self-help books because I thought, you know, these people had mastered something that I didn't master, so let me master this. And so, uh, this book, uh, "Tough Times Never Last Long, But Tough People Do," by Robert Skiller. So he, before every chapter, Robert would put Bible verses on. So it's funny. I would read the chapter, but then I would come back and read the Bible verses. I'd be like, "That's that's so nice. It's so comforting. What is that?" You know, I w- I would read the Bible verses. And uh, so my friend, she used to always like pray, like if there's anything, she'd say, okay, let's pray. And she'll pray. And then she'll say, okay, let's open the Bible and read the verses. She did that about two or three years. And um, so little, I think, did anybody know, but God knew. I think God must be, he knows. He's, he's, he's always right. He was just putting the word of God in me. Hmm. The most powerful, you know, Bible is not, it, it, Bible is not a, a book, you know, it's, it's, it's the living, breathing word of God. So he was just putting that in me for two, three years because, you know, what does the Bible say? The, you know, the word of God, it never returns void, right? It always does what it's supposed to do. And so he, it was just doing it that in my life for two, three years. Um, but I was still kind of stubborn. Like I would go, uh, I, I didn't want to convert, you know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't want to, Become a Christian. So I would be like, oh, this is really helping me and it's all nice. And so, but my friend was just very persistent in doing that. You know, she just did that. And she showed me a kind of unconditional love that I didn't see anywhere. Like, I was thinking, this girl doesn't expect anything from me. You know what I mean? Which was very surprising. And I was like, all she is doing is giving, you know, just loving on me and giving. So she did that for three, four years.
2: But despite this deepening friendship with Rohini, Deepa was still struggling with anxiety, fear about the future, and generally a lack of peace. And there didn't appear to be any relief in the near future. What she didn't know, though, is that God was about to move, which you'll hear about right after the break. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer, because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18 and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, How do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a COMPELLED listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12 month money back guarantee. That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you like your money back, and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year, you can't beat that. Because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compel, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they want to do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. Welcome back to Compelled. We've been listening to Deepa Sukumar share her testimony of growing up in India as a Hindu. She had heard about Jesus, thought he was a good man, and maybe he was one of the millions of gods. But that was about all. She was finishing up medical school, and to everyone else, she had a successful career ahead of her. But in reality, she was plagued with anxiety, lack of peace, and even despair. Then, one day, things changed.
1: Towards the and uh, when I was in my internship, though, one day, I think I just I just was feeling hopeless. I just went to kind of the bottom of hopelessness. Um, I think partially also because I was, in my heart, I was just kind of a part of me was just rejecting Christ, right? I mean, I wanted the prayers, I wanted the word, but then I just didn't want everything that he wanted to offer me. So December of 1997, I was on call in my hospital. I was just lying down and I said, I'm just done. So if there's any force in heaven, do something about my life. If not, I'm just going to just end it. And I didn't call on the name of Jesus. You know what I mean? I just said any force in heaven. I mean, I really even didn't think about Jesus when I was praying. I thought there has to be a higher power. And I just prayed to a higher power to help me
2: like Vishnu or Krishna or No, you know.
1: I was not praying to anybody name. I mean, I clearly remember I just said I had nobody in mind when I did that. And it was almost like God was like, here yeah, she's calling, let's go. You know what I mean? So it was it was almost like I really feel maybe, you know, because of my stubbornness, my back was kind of turned, you know, against God and I think it was just a cry for help and that was enough for him. I didn't sleep that night, and I was just tossing and turning. And I woke up the next day, and I came down, and um, Rohini was there, and she thought I was just pale. Like, she could see my face was just not good. And she actually took me again to the chapel, and she started reading the Bible. So when she was reading the Bible, she read Hebrews, and she read Hebrews 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Fifth verse was, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, right? when she read the verse it's almost like that spirit of hopelessness that suicide just left me i, I what can i i feel like the the words literally jumped out of the bible went into my heart and did a work in me it just happened in a second maybe and i i remember i don't think i even spoke to her after that i just got up and i started walking and um you know again you know when we had the conversation before like a few, uh, some time ago, she said, Deepa, when I read that verse, I looked at your face, I knew you had an encounter with God. I think I was hopeless and I found hope. And once I found hope in Jesus, I, I really thought, okay, no matter how difficult the circumstances, I have somebody who can help me through it. I think that just. Um, Of course, spiritually too, you know, I think that spirit of suicide just left because of the word of God, you know, that it was the word of God as a sword and it just came and you know, cut it off. So I just walked out. I remember exactly what I was wearing that day. Three things came to my mind. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but that day, I can't say it's so audible voice, but it was like a nudge in my spirit. I don't know what it was. I just heard the saying, Deepa, all this time, you have trusted people to take care of you. And from now on, I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to take care of you like a queen. That was the first thing. The second thing was, I felt almost like a hug from behind. And then I had a vision of like an iron spine. I'm like, what is iron spine? But looking back, I'm thinking, you know, you have a spine, you're shameless, right? You know, you, you, you're you guilt and shame can just make you bow down in shame so much that you don't look up right so it was almost like i think god telling me you're not a worm you know you you have a spine and it was almost god telling me don't be ashamed or don't be guilty i can't read into it but i just got you know just the iron spine and looking back i think that's what he meant and then third i knew jesus was lord Nobody had to tell me anything. I knew he was Lord.
2: (laughs) You knew it was Jesus was Lord. Yes,
1: I knew Jesus was Lord. You know, just like that. I I used to think he was a good man, a good teacher. Nope, he's Lord. The thing is that nobody told me all these things, right? I mean, nobody, nobody took me to church and said, oh, you know, he's the way. I didn't hear anybody preach. All along, he just sent his word and he got me.
2: Now to be clear, Deepa was ready to call Jesus Lord and definitely had an experience with him, but she was not ready to make him the Lord of her life exclusively. And that's not the cookie-cutter salvation moment you might expect to hear, and this is real life. She didn't turn away from her other idols or gods. Deepa was completely ready, though, to admit that Jesus was divine and that he had real power in her life, but to fully place her faith and trust in Jesus alone, that would still take some time?
1: It took two years for me to kind of accept him as the only Lord of my life because I had a lot of questions. So what do I do with everything that I've done all these years? And um, a lot of questions. And then family, I mean, how are they going to react when I'm going to say, hey, mom, I'm a Christian now. You know what I mean? It's, it's, It's almost a taboo in your culture for your daughter who's grown up and say, oh, I'm a Christian now. And so so it took two years for me because, the, and and see, that's the beauty of the Lord. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit, that he's always patient with you. You know, sometimes we're like, oh, she, you know, she's this and she's not left her gods. No, the Holy Spirit was with me those two years. And he knows how to get to you without condemnation, right? So for two years, I, um, I went to temples, uh, you know, but towards the end, my heart was not in the temples. I was like... It was almost like the Holy Spirit saying, Deepa, I got you. What are you doing here? Jesus is your Lord now. What are you doing? And so I can't remember a specific time when I said, oh, this is wrong or this is right or this is what I should believe or not. This is um, what I shouldn't believe. A couple of things. I knew that if I came out and said... I'm a Christian. I knew the repercussions in my community or in my family. So that was also holding me back. I was like, why can't I just live life like this? You know what I mean? I'll just this is good. I found out Jesus is Lord. I can go and pray to him every time. But I think that the Holy Spirit was working slowly in me. You know, he was not condemning me. I think I was more like slowly drawn into his love and into his trust. I think that's the way I can describe it. Just that the Bible says, you love me because I first loved you, like you first loved me and that's why I love you. So I, I think honestly, it was just his love that just drew me slowly, slowly, slowly to a point where I said, OK, OK, Lord, you are the Lord. I don't think there's anybody in my life who is the Lord. And OK, Lord, I'm ready to face whatever I have to face when I tell my family. So it is almost like the Holy Spirit drew me over a season into basically maybe the love of God, the trust of God and and then boom, one day I just said, okay. December of 1999 in my living room, I didn't go for an altar call or anything. I just knelt down. I said, okay, Lord, from now on in my life, you're the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm just going to follow you.
2: There was no doubt and there was no question. Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. No other roads to the Father except through him. But now the next question was, how would she tell her family?
1: It was my birthday, and so usually on birthdays, we actually go to temples to do rituals um, you know, in our name. And and that's that was their custom. That's because they did it because they loved me, you know what I mean? So I remember that night just before going to the hospital, I had a shift in the hospital at eight o'clock. My dad said, Okay, let's get ready, let's go to, you know, the temple. I wasn't even thinking I'll tell them that birthday. It just happened. I mean, like, it's almost like the Holy Spirit knew. I was, like, very afraid. I was, like, I was kind of an obedient child, I think. I think my parents would tell that. But that moment, I knew I had to tell them because I couldn't go. So I had to tell them. And, of course, I was, like, shivering when I told them. I was, like, my heart was beating fast when I told them. It wasn't, like, a cool thing. It was very uncomfortable for all three of us. Um, I do remember my mom just sobbing, saying, what has happened to her? I mean, and I remember my dad was in super distress, and it was hard, you know, because I was feeling like I was putting them down. I had so much of, like, confusion. I'm like, Lord, am I doing the right thing by making them feel like this? You know, they're my parents. But the Holy Spirit just gave me the card to say, you know, you have to tell them. And so my dad actually dropped me in the hospital, and a friend of mine who was a Christian, she was there that night, and See how God puts people in place. And so she, I just, I was sobbing. I said, I, I felt like I let my parents down. I was just like, what did I do? And so she was, she washed me in prayer that night. She was like, okay, let's pray. And I remember, I don't remember exactly what she prayed, but then I think she prayed for at least 45 minutes, just holding my hand, I was just sobbing. And my, my point is that God kept, God stationed people, you know. It was not like I was never alone during this whole journey. The Holy Spirit was in me.
2: Now, although the Holy Spirit was with her every step of the way, the journey was still not easy, especially when it came to the area of marriage. More on that after the break. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliott, whose husband was murdered by the Aca tribe in Ecuador but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War, smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Ten Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. Deepa had just shared with her parents that she was a Christian and no longer Hindu, and their relationship was now under a lot of strain. But around this time, Deepa began attending a Bible study of Christian female physicians who provided a safe space and some much-needed relationship with other Christians. This is when Deepa felt God prompting her to submit every area of her life over to him regardless of cultural norms, even the area of marriage.
1: And it's so funny because um, as soon as I got saved, he said, take a piece of paper and write down what, 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 what would you like in your husband, which was kind of very vague. Because in, in, in the culture where I grew up with, I'm kind of taught, OK, you have to be grateful with whoever you marry. And then with your love, you got to change him. Right. They were doing arranged marriage and I, I would definitely get married to a Hindu And then maybe pray that he might know the Lord.
2: Because your parents are going to select your husband, not you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because it's dishonorable in our culture to do that. And, you know, so he said, write down whatever you need for your husband. And I wrote down. And at one point I'm thinking, Rob, this is too much. I mean, I, I just wrote down. And then he would say, fast every Wednesday and pray for your marriage look, I didn't know what fasting was. I didn't know that during fasting, you've got to like pray, read the Bible. I would go to work. I would watch a movie and then five o'clock fast is ended. But you know what? I was a baby Christian and the Lord honored me with that fast. You know what I mean? So he used to do that. And then, We used to pray with my, me and my friend Rohini, we used to pray because we knew that we were in the same boat. We would pray, we would pray, we would fast and pray and we'd say, Lord, as for me and my house, let's serve the Lord, you know, because it was a huge deal for us. It's not a huge deal maybe for people here, but it was a huge deal for us because I knew I wanted to have a home where I could freely read the Bible and talk about the Lord. And so that was very important to us. I think people around me thought I was crazy. I mean, even... Um, some of the Christians they said, Deepa, I think you're going a little too far. You know, don't do that. And I'm, but I'd be like, Nope, I'm marrying a believer. And
2: because even your Christian friends would advise. Yeah, you. Yeah, because okay. it's not.
1: It's it's hard for you know. It's it, it's going to be hard on my family. You know, they would be like, Deepa, I think you're going a little bit. But you know what? I knew I got a word from the Lord, and I didn't care. You know, I didn't care. You you, you know I I mean, was I feeling guilty sometimes? Like, was I feeling afraid? Was I feeling fearful? Was I feeling confused? Yes. But sometimes you don't let your feelings take over yourself, you know, your life, because feelings are feelings. You know what I mean? The word of God is the word of God. So he just gave me that line. And I still even still remember at one point, my mom was like, I told my mom, I'm going to marry a believer. And I think she was kind of like, "Okay." it's funny, though, because during that time, I think the Lord took away every proposition that came. Literally, it just fizzled out. And I knew that his hand was on me. Which is kind of funny, though, Too during that time, a lot of, you know, so-called like a wealthy propositions used to come from the U.S., which were, you know, who are Hindus. And I was like, Lord, I mean, the devil is working extra hard. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I knew, okay, you know, I'm not going to move or, you know, I know that the joy of having a Christian home, I kind of saw it in people's lives. I mean, a real Christian home, you know what I mean? So it's not perfect, but I knew the Lord was working in in a home where he was Lord. However, I met Sukumar in 1999 in November and... He was, a, he was a complete Hindu, like a total, like a, their parents are very devoted to Hinduism, like extremely devoted to Hinduism.
2: And this is when you met him. Was this yeah. part of a proposition when you met him? No, you no, just we met just him? met,
1: we, we were working in a hospital together and we, we, we met. And so when we met, like he was like, oh, I like you a lot. And I was like, well, I liked him too, but I wanted to leave India by the time I had gotten my, you know, exams and everything ready. And so I said, "But I'm going to go to the US," and he was like, "Okay, I'll come to the US too." And he came within two weeks of when I went when I came to the US. But the thing is that he was he was still a Hindu, right? And after a while, I just started going around with him. You know, I was like, "Okay, you know, let me just." I mean, he he loved me a lot, and I really liked him, and it's like, "Okay, let me just go around with him." And I think the Lord was not happy with that, right? So. At because one, the
2: Lord had so strongly, strongly told, told you. me,
1: right? And but it, it it's see that's the thing, right? I mean, sometimes it's like Peter, right? You you're walking on water, and sometimes you're like, look at the waves, the situation, this is not going to happen to me. At one point, the Lord actually told me, um, Deepa, come, I want to talk to you, and I, I, I knew what he was going to address. So I I just knelt down, and he said, see, that's the sweetness of our God, right? He never he never comes with a stick and says, beats you down and says, I told you so. The Holy Spirit started, I think, working in me and I started crying and I told the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry I did this because I think I didn't trust you enough. So it was a trust issue and I said, Lord, I I just didn't trust you in this. Can you forgive me? You know, I trusted you for for some time and things were really hard at that time, you know. So after a while, I think I got tired and I was like, okay, you know, this is just not working out. But that night I repented and I said, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Just let me trust you again. And um, I I heard him very clearly say, if I tell you to leave Sukumar, would you leave him? It was hard for me, but he knew my struggle. I said, it'll be difficult, but I'll leave him. So I I kind of made that conscious decision that, okay, if you tell me to leave him, Lord, I'm just going to leave him. And you and me, we're going to be fine.
2: Now, while this was all going on, they had actually been in separate states for several years. Deepa was doing her residency in New York while Sukumar was working on his master's and doing research near Kentucky and Tennessee. Yet when Deepa effectively gave Sukumar over to the Lord, 900 miles away, God began putting Christians into Sukumar's life. He was still a Hindu, but his heart was softening. Then on Valentine's Day 2004, Deepa went to visit him.
1: I flew down and he got me like a picture of Jesus for Valentine's Day because, you know, he thought, you know, I love Jesus. And he thought maybe I was going to give him something along the lines that he liked. And I gave him a huge Bible. And I said, "Here, this is your gift and read it. And he was not happy about it. Yeah. But I think I did what the Lord told me to do. It was just, I don't know, just I was just inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so this was in February. But then in March of 2004, he was having spring break in Tennessee. Again, I was in New York. I was doing my residency. And he didn't have any money to spend during spring break. So he called his friend who was a Christian. And the friend said, hey, you know what? Bible is the most read book in the whole world. I mean, why don't you read the book? I mean, you know, you, you have nothing to lose. And Sukumar was like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's the most read book. So let's just read it. And so Friday and Saturday, he read the Old Testament fully, completely.
2: Whoa, whoa, let's just pause right there. Friday and Saturday, he read the Old Testament. Yeah,
1: he read. I mean, he um, he also bought a pack of beer, so yeah, I don't (laughs) know how fast he read, but he read it. He's a fast reader, so he's really fast. So the third day, though, he read the New Testament. He read Matthew, Luke, Mark, John. The only thing he felt was, why are they crucifying this guy again and again, and he didn't do anything? And then when he read John, he said he never felt love like that ever before. And he came from a very loving family, you know what I mean? So he said, he said I never felt love like that before. And after John, though, he closed the book because he was thinking, OK, these people, they are maybe probably doing voodoo for my mind or something like that because this is not sitting with my mind properly. And so he closed the book and he, um, he went to temple the next day. And he felt very uncomfortable in the temple. And so when he came back, he read the rest of the book. And then in Revelation, Jesus says, I come to you and I stand at your door and knock, you open the door. So when he read that, he said, okay, you know what? He's just living, giving his life to Christ. Um, And then he called me and he said, you know, I'm giving my life to Christ. A Couple of things though. A lot of prayer went before that. You know, I went to a Nigerian church and they were praying for him. They were like literally praying for him and I was praying for him. And so it looks like it happened suddenly. But, you know, God was working all the time. And the other thing is that I I got the Bible. And I think all of this, I don't want to take any credit because I think it's the Holy Spirit and the lord so when i when i gave him the bible i wrote in the bible to my future husband who is a christian who is a follower of christ and i dated that and i gave it to him i don't even think he opened the bible i don't think i don't even think he read that first part i think he read it afterward so yes and that was 2004 and then we got baptized in january of 2005 and then 2005 february As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we got married. Our marriage was the first Christian wedding we ever attended because the pastor was very gracious and he helped us through everything. Uh, And our wedding, I mean, I could feel the love of our father. I could feel the joy. Even our friends, you know, even now they always say, when we just remember your wedding, we would just feel happy. I mean, that's joy basically, right? None of our parents were able to make it. I think it was the Lord who said, you know what, no, no, these are my children. I'm going to do their wedding. And he did it. I mean, it was not very superfluous kind of wedding, but I could literally feel the joy of the Lord during that wedding. And that was 2005. And see, so many years later, that came to pass that as for me and my house, you know, we will serve the Lord.
2: Six years after she started praying for a Christian husband, it came to pass. Deepa and Sukumar have now been married 17 years, and for them and their house— They will continue to serve the Lord. As our conversation came to a close, I asked Deepa what advice she would give to any of you listening who have a friend or a loved one who is Hindu.
1: I would first say pray for them. I mean, are you praying for your friend? You pray for them. Don't look at external circumstances. Don't look like it's so hard Um, I would first say pray for them. And the second thing is that I would just say be there for them. You don't have to be there for them every single day, but at least every two, three months, just call them and say, you know what, I'm thinking about you, how is everything? And then maybe close it in prayer and say, do you want me to pray about anything? And most people will never say no for prayer. So that's number two. Number three, be open. Like just tell them I'm here for you. If you need to talk or anything, have a coffee, just come, we can talk. And fourth, give them a Bible. I would say give them those small Gideon Bibles, because those Gideon Bibles, when you open, you know, there's things that it says specifically how to pray for anxiety, worry, depression, like it says. So just give them a Bible. They might not open the Bible when you're there, but God has a way. God has a way of attracting his sheep to his voice, I would request anybody who's watching this to be real with God. You know, if if you know Jesus and you have some doubts, talk to him about it. Talk to him and tell him, look, why is this happening in my life? Or why is that happening to my friend? Or, you know, just be honest with him. And I'm, I can guarantee you he will come through. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord, all I'm asking you is that would you give him a chance? He's somebody who honestly gave his life for you and he wants the best for you and if you know he's the savior don't wait to make a confession he's your friend he's your god and he loves you and he cares the best for you and you can tell him anything and he is not going to turn his face away from you as long as you're honest with your doubts with him
2: diva thank you so much for joining us and i'm so excited to share your story with our listeners
1: thank you so much paul thank you for having me
2: One thing about Deepa's story that really sticks out to me is how she first cried out to God, asking him to show himself. But even after he did and Deepa was willing to call him Lord, it took her another two years before she was ready to entirely give up her other false gods. During that time, though, the Holy Spirit was patiently wooing and drawing her to himself. It wasn't instantaneous, but rather gradual. And sometimes God works that way. The other thing that stood out is the faithful day-to-day testimony of Deepa's friend, Rohini. It wasn't through a series of intellectual heavyweight debates that softened Deepa's heart, although that sometimes can happen. But in this instance, Rohini was the friend that was there when Deepa needed one, and who would share Bible verses and pray with her, something that I hope all of us are challenged to do. Today, Deepa and her husband both work as pediatricians. Deepa also runs a growing pediatric telemedicine practice that you can access from anywhere in the world. To learn more or schedule an appointment, visit gracemdconnect.com. Also, if you have questions for Deepa about her testimony, you can email her at enterhisrest2020 at gmail.com. Take five seconds and ask yourself, do I have a friend who should hear Deepa's story? If so, send it to them. And you can also help us create more stories just like this one by becoming a monthly Patreon supporter for as little as $3 a month. Get started at compelledpodcast.com and click donate. This episode was edited by Will Jackson, our sound engineer is Zach Fowler, and our associate producer is Sarah Hastings. Stay tuned for a sneak peek from next week's story with Jamie Kent. One night when Jamie was just 10 years old, police came to his home and arrested his stepfather. Then, moments later, Jamie and his siblings were taken away by Child Protective Services. As Jamie's world fell apart and his earthly family imploded, little did he know that a heavenly father was watching from above. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll be back with another compelling story next Tuesday. There was commotion upstairs running and I just was curled up in my bed, you know, wondering what's going on. And then I got quiet and then I heard the thud of someone coming down the stairs and the door kind of swings open and light comes on. It's my brother. And he just throws this
0: black trash bag in my face and he says, pack your things. We're leaving. This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com.